0: Hey, folks, you hear that? You hear that on the horizon? It's the chopper, the guitar chopper. That can mean only one thing. That can only mean that. No guitar is safe. There it is. That's right. No guitar is safe. Welcome to episode two of the guitar show where we drop you into the backyards of great players so that they can invite you into their home studios, so they can play a few licks for you, so that they can tell you a few cool stories. Speaking of cool stories, what's the coolest guitar story anyone ever told you? For me, well, you know, I heard a lot of great guitar stories in my day, but one that stands out, well, it was told to me kind of after a silly, embarrassing moment at Denver International Airport. I had just played a gig the night before with a great singer in Boulder named Liza, Liza O. And I'm by myself at the gate, headed back to California the next day when another guy shows up with a gig bag on his back and he's friendly and he comes up to me. He's like, hey, what you got in your bag? And I'm like, oh, you know, man, it's just like a 2000 3 Strat or something. What's in your bag? And he says, oh, it's a 1962 Stratocaster. And I'm thinking, wow, who brings a 62 Strat in a soft case to shove in the overhead bin on an airplane? But as I'm thinking this, I sheepishly realize to my embarrassment, oh my God, this is Brad Gillis. I'm like, dude, I mean, Brad Gillis I saw when I was 12 years old, he was playing with Ozzy Osbourne. He had just taken over. This was so bittersweet, you know, a great gig for him, but it was two weeks, three, whatever, a few weeks after Randy Rhodes was just so horrifically and unnecessarily killed in that silly plane crash in Florida. And you know what? When I saw Brad throw down that night in my seventh grade year, He was playing that same 62 Strat that was on his back when I finally met him. You know, it's got that kind of orange Datsun 240Z sports car paint with the primer. It's got the onboard Nady wireless transmitter installed. It's got the humbucker. It's got the battle scars. Yeah, there it was at the gate. And the cool thing was, speaking of guitar stories, we got a seat together on the plane and he told me about the whole thing. He told me the whole story of the morning that he woke up and got the call. Hello
1: Bradley, this is Alsey, And we want to fly you out on Tuesday. Brad is just an animal. <laughs>
0: you're going to hear more, but anytime he picks up the guitar, man, the fun just starts. He loves it. And when he told me this amazing story in every detail over the course of our flight back to California, I vowed, you know, someday we're going to get that story out there, the whole thing. We just need the right platform. Well, now here it is 2015 and we have the right platform. It's called podcasting. We can go long, we can go deep, there's no commercials and no restrictions. By the way, as I told you last week on the Joe Satriani episode, my name is Jude Gold. This week I have to apologize for my voice. I got thrashed on a tour by some kind of super bug. Sucks, laryngitis or something, but I think I'm going to make it through. Thank you very much. Just played a few shows with Jefferson Starship and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of sleep involved due to heavy travel, lots of airports, Yay. I want to thank Zoom for the great H6 Handy Recorder on which we record these episodes. And I want to thank Guitar Player Magazine's Bill Amstetz and Michael Melinda, my editor-in-chief. So without further ado, let's go check out Brad's house. Man, this guy's got it made. Not because he's got a beautiful house overlooking a valley where you can't see any other houses and still is just an hour from San Francisco. Not because he has vintage guitars in the walls, 57 Strats, one of a kind Les Pauls, you know, platinum albums and all that. Not because he has a rumpus room the size of Nebraska, a man cave with leather couches and Marshall stacks. No, man. Brad, what he did that's so amazing is he created a sound. He passes the test, the ultimate test, which Les Paul set down, which is when he asks somebody, Yeah, but can your mom tell it's you on the radio? Yes, Brad's mom can tell. let's head over to brad's house where he's got this crazy 71 les paul plugged in and ready to go he's gonna play for you he's gonna tell you all the stories too of how he got his first guitar and went on from there to get crazy gig after crazy gig i played the senior prom when i was a freshman up through his first major label gig up through the randy rhodes tragedy and the ozzy osbourne madness and then up through night ranger where he and co-guitarist jeff watson made so many great guitar tracks and of course he'll talk about night rangers later guitarist. Joel Hoekstra, and Kerry Kelly. All right, here we go.
1: Yeah, my last fall, man. Uh, It's a 71. I got it in 1974 when I was in high school. I had a 57 Strat. You know, back in (laughs) 74, you know, 57 Strat really wasn't worth much, you know. And it just kept going out of tune, man. And this friend of mine, he was, uh, you know, he had, the Les Paul was too heavy for him. And we did a straight across swap for my 57 for the 71. Of course, uh, these days, a 57 would be worth a lot more money. But I ended up getting
2: another one. Yeah. (laughs) Nice thing to have on the wall right there.
1: But this has mainly got me through uh, learning some extensive stuff when I was a kid in high school and moving to the next level, I should say. And uh, when I got into Rubicon, of course, it was before I put the Floyd Rose and the built-in wireless in it, but it was cool because uh, it was, uh, you know, it was my funky guitar. You know, I learned how to play ninth chords and chunk-chunk and stuff. And the the Rubicon thing, we were kind of a (laughs) funk rock band, you know, just, you know... Just trying to uh, bridge the gap between rock and uh, funk, which didn't work, but, uh, you know.
2: Now, you didn't have the bar, obviously, back then, right? No, I installed the bar, I think it
1: was 19... 80 81 ish when they finally made oh. a floyd rose that was a bigger nut width made for uh, les pauls and i took it to stars guitars in san francisco yeah. and uh, floyd had made a template to mount a floyd rose in a les paul and i took it to them they're going well we've never done this before <laughs> and i yeah. said well i hope you get it right and they said oh we'll give it a shot and they just did a beautiful job on getting it in there now that's one of the original I wanted to, but yeah, I got the original Floyd.
2: See, tell us about what makes that original.
1: Back in the early days, when seventy-eight-ish, you know, when Floyd started making these, he made quite a few, and you know, I think what I heard, twenty to thirty in his garage, right? My job, the last, you know. 30 years is to find these originals and I think I got about 10 or 12 of the originals and I put them in mostly all my guitars that I play I've never used fine tuners never was Mm -hmm. never into that it's got a different uh, feel to it and as far as palming and 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 hitting the warble sound that I get and and the bulkiness of it I just didn't dig them so I you know I tried it a couple times in the 80s I said no I'm gonna
2: go with these originals basically I had this Mm -hmm. one black chromed and did you say that you feel like those earlier Floyd's had like a tougher steel to them or yes
1: are more more case hardened, I, I should say. Right. Floyd told me the specs years ago. I don't know. I'm not a machine uh, metal guy, but uh, basically they made them more solid. And, and I refer to the newer ones, you know, as more of a like a pot metal. They flux. They they you know this one you clamp it down, it stays right. in.
2: Yeah, Let's ball. hear that Floyd for a second. Play, show us. And this is a Les Paul with a Floyd. It's kind of a rarity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The fantastic I, I love how you like leave a string ringing and then while it's in the middle of a big note then you create a new note by just touching it with one of your fingers to get a new harmonic to ring
1: yeah that's uh, kind of uh, this kind of thing <laughs>
2: yeah. That's awesome, man. Now, what kind of solos were you taking in Rubicon when you were playing funk? What did you sound like before you became one of the greatest bar players ever? Well, thank you, Jude.
1: You know, but, You right. know, just I uh, was just playing licks yeah. and kind of.
2: Now, now, what got you? into guitar in the first place. What made you want to pick up one of these things?
1: Uh, well, the Beatles came out in 64 and I was just a little kid, six, seven years old. I was totally enthralled by them. I wanted to be Ringo star. So, you know, I talked my mom and dad into getting me a drum set. And I think I was seven and a half years old uh, on Christmas. And they bought me uh, you know, my dad was in the Navy, he went down to the Navy store there and got me a set of real cheap drums. And I was banging on those puppies. My parents couldn't stand it. They were like, Oh my gosh, we can't stand this. I said, well, Buy me a guitar for my eighth birthday. That's awesome. Now, what would they get you? Uh, They ended up getting me a K Vanguard 2 and a K amplifier. And I remember it was a lot of money back then. I think it was uh, roughly 125, 150 bucks for both. In those days, that was a lot of money. And my dad said, I'm not spending all this money to have you jerk around on it and then just give it up and put it aside. I will buy this guitar for you if you take lessons. I said, oh, sure, I'll take lessons. So I started taking lessons and the old man in Alameda, California that I was taking lessons from, I mean, I was learning, you know, notes and stuff and chords, but I didn't wanna learn how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. I wanted to rock so my brother being seven years older than me had a friend of his that was in a band and he came over and showed me you know pretty much the eight chords or whatever which i already knew but he kind of taught me strumming techniques and said now brad if you listen to the radio long time ago (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and he says every song you hear on the radio these chords will be part of the the the, the song he goes just listen to it listen by ear pick up the root main chord and then figure out the other chords around it and you'll be able to play it and and after a while you'll be able to any song that comes on the radio you'll be able to play
2: now what was the first song you remember just man i got i got this song i love the song i'm playing gloria (laughs)
0: You know? <laughs> yeah, and, sounds, and, sounds great. And,
1: and you know and i, I just started learning stuff and, and all i did was sit in my room all day i come over to school sit in my room up to dinner time do dinner come back in my room sat in my room and played until uh i had to go to bed and and on the weekends all i did was play and it was to the point my dad says son why don't you we lived across the street from a park he goes son go watch you over there playing football with the kids and you know he, he says my dad was a sports guy yeah so I actually got into pitching in Little League and because my, my dad was a pitcher in the Navy, and uh, he got me into pitching and I, I joined Little League and I, I played you know baseball for a couple of years. And then I got beamed in the head once, and I thought, this is no fun. I just want to rock, you know? So I kind of got out of the uh, athletic thing and just seriously got on my playing my guitar. My brother had all the records, 1969, 1970. He was like 19-ish, whatever. He had all of the, you know, Led Zeppelin 1, you know, Hendrix, you know, The Doors, Big Brother and the Holding Company, you know, all these, Santana, all these great records that came out when shit was happening, you know what yeah. I mean? And he set me up he was kind of an electronics guy he set me up in his bedroom with a turntable going into this little box a little box he built out a popular science whatever magazine build a guitar preamp and he built this for me put it in the box and had the turntable running into the box and my guitar running into the box which had the preamp out into headphones so He would take off every night he'd go out and party with his friends. It was nineteen sixty nine, that's what they did. (laughs) And I sat in his room and (laughs) and sit in his room for hours and play those songs and and just try to learn it constantly learning and then jamming along to records and stuff. I jam along to all these records, exactly. Everything that came on, I would try to learn how to play. Once I learned the records and everything, especially Hendrix, I started, you know, learning try to play lead and then my brother's friend would come back over and kinda help me out. Of course he wasn't you know, he really didn't know how to play Hendrix, but he knew he was uh the next level above me if not two levels and i remember the first time i heard a dave mason and you know before getting the Hendrix stuff and it was it was that drill thing how does he do that how does he do that i thought it was so cool and i learned it one night and now that's all i did for days You know, I just kept <laughs> yeah. going up and down the neck. You know, I thought, well, that's a good start, you know. Then I just kind of learned the basics of how to go down. Yeah. You
0: know? <laughs> you know?
1: Started getting into that. And then I used to start getting into more feel, yeah. You, know? <sighs> you know, just bending stuff like that. And then I kind of got into tremolo, different types of tremolo, you know. <laughs>
2: fast and slow. And Those first things were just your fingers and then the last bit was I your bar. bar. But. I and that's your to, fingers. That's yeah. my fingers.
1: So I, I kind of, you know, learned how to uh, do different fast and slow tremolos and incorporate that in into my style. I was like a sieve, man. Anything on the radio, anything I heard, I'd go see a band. I just wanted to play, play, play. It's, Putting those hours when I was a kid is why I was able to, in high school, play with all seniors when I was a freshman. I was a lead guitar player in a band. I played the senior prom when I was a
2: freshman. And what was your rig that night?
1: Back then, you know, I was going through like a twin reaver with a distortion pedal. You know, I was still trying to get my gear together.
2: Did you have a K still or you must have graduated? You know, or I-,
1: I had a few different fenders, yeah. fine, you know, different stratocasters. Then like I said, I got that 57 Strat, which wouldn't stay in tune. Then I got the Les Paul, then I got into Les Pauls after high school. Now after high school, I went right into playing club bands five nights a week with this band called Arm & Hammer, band called Flyer. Uh, these different local bands that we played five nights a week, five sets a night, and all the clubs around the city in the Bay Area. And I was actually making money, and I was able to move out of my house and get a little apartment. I remember the apartment cost me $170 a month. In that city, or where were you living? Alameda, i got to say, that's where I grew up. Incidental High School, two years, and Alameda High School, two years. But basically once i graduated i wanted to play and this was my outlet to kind of like learn different styles and kind of get it together you know and i was playing funk disco i was playing rock tunes and uh, anything kind of danceable back then because it was a club band and that's when i was uh you know playing with my friends and, and and club one night and these someone said hey this band's coming in to check you out they're looking for a guitar player so what band is this? He goes it's band called Rubicon. I guess they got a deal with 20th Century Fox Records, but their uh, guitar player just got married and had a baby and he's bowing out so they're looking for somebody. Are are you interested? I said, oh, hell yeah, you know. So, of course, you know, playing in this club, people dancing and everything, these three, like, long-haired guys dressed in, like, rock stars come in and sitting at the table. I knew exactly it was them. Never knew them, never (laughs) met them, but they are checking me out, and we took a break, and they came up and said, hey, you you sound great, man. We're uh, looking for a guitar player. We're auditioning, guys. Would you like to come down to audition? And I said, sure, and it was an SIR in San Francisco when they used to have rehearsal rooms, and so... I went down there, and, and sure enough, Jack Blades, Night Rangers yeah. bass player, he was in Rubicon, along with Jerry Martini, who was the only white guy in Sly and the Family Stone, who played saxophone, who uh, I want to take you higher to, and he holds that sax yeah. note for one minute long at the end of the song. <laughs> That's his claim to fame, you know, for playing sax. Yeah. And so I I came down and walked in and and met these guys and they said, uh, you know, basically we've auditioned like 25 guys and the guy we got, we gave him the gig, we gave him the cassette of all the tunes to learn, but you're the last guy, you were kind of highly recommended, so, you know, we'll see what you can do. And that guy was Danny Chauncey. I went to high school with Danny Chauncey, and he was the guy that was a year older than me that had a band with a chick lead singer that got all the dance gigs and stuff because they were playing pop rock. And I was playing in a rock band in, in high school, doing Blue Oyster Cult and, you know, and, and Zeppelin and stuff like that. And basically, so Danny Chauncey got the gig, and I didn't see him, but he was in there somewhere just where they said, Hey, yo, wait over in the other room, and we're going to audition one more guy. You might know this guy, he's from Alameda, he's Brad Gillis, and Danny's like, Ugh. I kind of went to high school with the guy, you know, yeah, I know Brad. And, oh, we're just going to audition him, so just hang out. So I went into audition, had this Black Les Paul, no Floyd before Floyd and everything, and went and auditioned. And I remember, you know, I knew my funky stuff from playing in clubs, and I, I and, and I kind of had it together. But Jack Blaze was doing this thing with his bass where he was jumping around on both feet, kind of like jumping and bopping in circles. So I joined his little circle and started <laughs> bopping in time with him. Playing my ninth chords and funking out, you know. And we got done playing, and they all went, Oh, they all went gathered in the corner, and we're all talking. And I'm here mumbling, I'm pretty much on stage, just standing there waiting for my fate, you know, right. whether I get this gig or not. And Jerry Martini turns around and says, All right, who's going to get the cassette back from Danny? Oh, so man. I knew I got the gig, right? So they went and got the cassette from Danny, and Danny was pissed, you know, i kind of took his gig, you know. and. And uh, make a long story short, you know, I got with the Rubicon, did my thing, got with the Night Ranger, started doing well, I bought my first house in Alameda, Danny was still, you know, uh, we didn't really talk much because of that whole scene, but we were pretty good friends in high school, you know, so one day I just went over to his house and knocked on his little apartment door, and he opened the door, was like, hey like what are you doing here brad you know and i said hey danny sorry about the rubicon thing but i got this beautiful new house on the water in alameda and i'd love to have you as a roommate you know another musician oh, write nice. songs goof off you know party you know whatever living the dream and he's like oh let me think about it you know he, he still didn't dig me for the rubicon thing and he calls me the next day he goes yeah man uh you know i want to come by and check out your place so he came over saw my house beautiful house had the upstairs studio going he moved in and him and I spent a couple years there writing songs having a blast partying like wild dogs you know early 80s mid 80s whatever then he got the gig with 38 Specials been with him ever since we do gigs with him all the time so he's definitely doing well he's got a lot of soul man he's got feel and soul and I tell you that's one thing I learned from him which also I learned from Pat Thrall who grew up in Alameda it's like feel and soul and melody man play with melody you know I never will consider myself a shredder I'm not a shredder I try to play with feel and emotion and play Guitar solos that are memorable, mm-hmm. and maybe you'll kick off some sounds of that other guitar players go. How
2: in the hell do you do that? You well, know? yeah, you definitely play like a singer. You play really long notes too. It's not all.
1: Yeah, I work off sustain. Always have, and and uh, of course the guitars I play got to be set up floating, you know, Floyd's and whatever, and and have that that, that sustain to, to do what I do.
2: Now wait, so what's a good example of one of your favorite Rubicon riffs for someone who's never really heard the band? I mean, this is a big part of your career. Well, we had this, you know, kind of a rock tune. It was like a
1: you know it's kind of like one of those yeah, things yeah. uh i'll well, tell you one thing about rubicon the biggest day of my life which still is is march 18 1978 playing the cal jam 2 ontario motor speedway with rubicon aerosmith ted nugent hart santana all these great bands were on this bill, and they put us on there to close the show while people were leaving. It's like quarter
2: million people there.
1: Yeah, it was, oh uh, yeah, and we played in front of definitely a couple hundred thousand. Cause people didn't really didn't leave, and that was the biggest day of my life because basically I was uh, just turned twenty years old, flying in, you know, on a helicopter to a limo to backstage and all, you know, hanging out with all these big rock stars, and I was nobody. But our band got a shot to play it. And they did the live double album, and it was on TV, um, before MTV. And I remember meeting this gorgeous little blonde-haired girl. I met her and brought her backstage. And since we weren't playing until after Aerosmith, which is 11, 12 at night, and it's like 5 in the afternoon, I took her. We went took the limo back to the heliport, took a helicopter back to the hotel. We had steak and lobster. (laughs) And I flew back on the helicopter, went backstage, and she's like, Oh, my God. And I'm like, Oh, my God. <laughs> I dated her for a while, and it was just—it was the perfect day for somebody 20 years old trying to break into big time, you know.
2: So me. now you end up playing with Alameda All Stars briefly. Uh, What—that was that just a the band of a lot of all the uh, well local hotshots. When we
1: when uh, Rubicon
2: broke up, but I we
1: stuck together with, with Jerry Martini and and Kelly Keggy, our drummer, Night Ranger drummer, had joined the band at the very end of Rubicon formed this band called Stereo. Uh, we started doing demos. We sounded too much like the friggin' cars, you know. It wasn't what I wanted to do. It really, wasn't what we wanted to do. But the cars were huge. We were trying to go with the flow, go with the mainstream, whatever. It didn't work. It didn't last too long. We were playing kind of clubs in the in the Bay Area. I stayed together with Jack and Kelly, and Jack was roommating with uh, roommates with Fitz Alan Fitzgerald, our keyboard player in the back in the day, Night Ranger, and and Fitz said, "Hey man, uh, you know I know this hotshot guitar player from Sacramento named Jeff Watson." We should all get together and jam. You know, we'll do a dual guitar thing. You never know. Uh, You know, we could be the next Judas Priest, you know, and whatever. We could play rock and roll, play what we want to play, so... I remember uh, meeting Jeff, and we were kind of looking at each other like, oh, uh, I've always been the only guitarist. He was like, I'm only <laughs> on, I've always been the only guitar player. And, but we ended up hitting it off, man, and him and I hit it off. We were out partying all the time. We'd sit down and jam all the time. I had a different style than him. Oh, yeah. We'd come together on harmonies, and Eddie's coming out tonight, stuff like that, and, then, you know, and, and uh, we ended up being best friends and getting in this band called Ranger in 1980 recorded a demo and trying to get signed well the guys in the band didn't want to play clubs with this band they thought we'll make a great demo get a record released go on tour and go right to the big time i didn't want to sit around you know wait to get signed see what happens you know oh in three months we got a showcase here i wanted to play i'm a player i always played i was used to playing five nights a week at a club band and enjoying every minute of it so i put together this band around late 1979 called the Alameda All-Stars, and it was Alameda guys. We play four shows a week. We had the Lucky line in the Oakland Hills. We play two shows in Alameda and one other gig somewhere else and did real well. We were playing a lot of whatever the greatest rock tunes on the radio or a classic favors. We played them all, and Kelly sang great in that, and everybody kind of sang. Between Danny's vocals, my vocals, and Kelly's, we had great three-part harmonies, and yeah. we packed out packed them out in alameda all the time and then we started playing some Ozzy tunes you know yeah, and then uh you know in 81 i remember you know all stars are kicking night range is trying to get a record deal and i remember going to the day in the green in oakland and seeing Ozzy play with randy and of course we're hearing you know crazy train and stuff on the radio and and uh everyone said oh he'd be into- he was being touted as the next eddie van halen the next upcoming greatest
2: guitar player wow i I never realized you saw a randy concert now yeah what what was your impression of him as a player by seeing randy rose i was blown away by
1: how great they were and how the audience was receptive to him and how you know going i think after seeing them is when i started doing a couple of the uh, aussie tunes so i thought oh this stuff's great of course you know that's you know crazy train being incorporated every every ball game you go to in the stadium yeah, that's playing that all the time and anyway so i started playing those tunes and playing with with uh, the alameda all-stars and packing them man we were packing them in uh it was huge for us because we were starting i was making i was making a couple hundred bucks a night you know <laughs> and this is 1981 82-ish you know You're probably a thousand air and then at one point ranger which we were called before night ranger we had a showcase down in la for all the record companies now we weren't actually on the bill but at the last minute they put us on the bill to open the show to play for these seven to eight record companies all the big guys came down we did our sound check after sound check the board caught on fire so they had to haul a new board out and we had to go on basically with no check in here our monitors she was feeding back and i guess we just didn't play good and all the companies there passed on us they said god you guys sound horrible what's up with your sound well our soundboard blew up whatever they don't want to hear that basically we did that we got passed on by every record company so i went back with playing with the all-stars you know i thought well this is over you know And then uh, I'm driving in my truck one day, my little, my Dawson pickup, hauling equipment somewhere, going to rehearse somewhere or whatever. And I hear on the radio, uh, uh, we got some uh, horrible news. Uh, Randy Rose has just died in a plane crash uh, in Florida and just seeing him, you know, months before. I pulled over my truck to the side. I went, oh, my God, I just saw this guy. How Easily, life could be taken away from me for some stupid incident of trying to buzz a bus. And, and Randy being such a straight, you know, he wasn't, you know, partying or nothing. I guess the, the, the pilot was or you know, whatever. Yeah, apparently. You know, apparently. And uh, I pulled over and I thought, oh, my God, I, I, this is unbelievable, you know. And, my, you know, my, my, dad was a, my dad was a pilot, you know. And I flew all the time with my dad. And just a plane crash, you know, just freaked me out. And then, then you know, I ended up driving along, going to rehearsal, and I was kind of bummed out all day about it. I thought, you know, wow, now we're going to be playing, you know, these Aussie songs. This guy just died, you know, and what a horrific thought. And then, you know, uh, you know, life goes on, you know. I just kept playing and stuff, and, and uh, we kind of did a tribute to Randy whenever we played those songs. And and uh, this friend of ours who had been in bands and hanging out, and his name was uh, Preston Thrall, and Preston was Pat Thrall's brother. Pat Thrall played mm-hmm. with Pat Travers. And of course, Tommy Aldridge was Pat Travers' drummer uh, back in the day and then left to play with Ozzy. So basically, Preston came in and said, Hey, man, I might be able to get you an audition for Ozzy. I'm going, Yeah, right. You know, I'm an unknown. I believe with Rubicon, you know, we sold, you know, 20,000 records, you know. If that, oh, I couldn't even see me being a contender. I, I didn't even think about that it was even possible. I said, well, I'm going to tell my brother Pat, you know, maybe see what Pat can do. And I said, okay. And this is on a Friday. And uh, this is like a week after Randy past wow and uh she saw me on friday and then saturday night we had another gig and i remember that night you know grabbing some girl. i think maybe i was seeing her or whatever bringing her home and we were up late doing what guys do back when they're 20 something years old <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> having a good time and play, up late playing right? monopoly or something yeah we were playing monopoly and uh went to bed at like three or four in the morning and i get a call at eight o'clock in the morning on sunday morning and i pick up the phone and i go like it's like hello it's like Hey, hello bradley this is sharon arden ozzy Osbourne's manager we we'd like to fly you to new york for an audition with the band and <laughs> i know friends of mine knew you know maybe i might get an audition and i'm going all right who is this i'm sleeping quit screwing with me no no this is sharon let me put ozzy on the phone i said yeah put ozzy on the phone and this guy gets on the phone uh hello bradley this is ozzy and Back in the early 80s, since my dad was a pilot and flew around the world, whenever he'd be in New York and call home, there was a delay on the phone. Like a one second delay, you could hear that. And I'm talking to Ozzy and I heard that delay. And he goes, grab a pen, I want you to write down these songs to learn. And I said, "I said, give me a second, let me grab a pen. I put down the phone. I want- Oh, uh, you, you know, I felt faint like I was going to pass out, which I, you know, from drinking late anyway, I should have passed out anyway, but hmm. I told this girl that was, I go, you gotta go, you gotta go. I got a pen, I wrote down these songs I go, Ozzy, I, I, he goes I want. we want to fly you out on Tuesday this is Sunday morning. I go, Ozzy, I only know about, you know, four or five of the songs. He goes, well, we'll bring you out we got another interim guitar player Bernie Tomei, he's playing with us, but he's you know, would like to get back to London with his band, so we'll bring you along, and and you let us know when you're ready. I said, "Oh, okay. And he says, "Well, well, we'll send you a ticket to fly to New York on Tuesday. We're staying at the Helmsley Palace if you need to get a hold of us, you know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out so i called my friends who had the early aussie records and of course i had you know the diary record you know and i ended up getting both aussie records and and
2: black sabbath records and to to learn all these songs that's kind of more involved back then because there's no spotify you're listening you're spinning vinyl and
1: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but you know i did learn by ear and i was oh, able to pick up on stuff but i even told them i, I i'm not i'm not going to be ready so basically i sat in my room all day sunday all day monday and learned six seven eight roughly went over the other ones not even getting into the solos that's a whole that was a whole nother world and uh i flew out on tuesday with a one-way ticket 150 dollars in my pocket really nobody i didn't have a credit card i didn't know anybody in new york basically i'm going out there and how old were you at that point i was 24 so i flew to new york and this limo driver with the whole black you know hat and yeah. the black suit on and the little sign said mr gillis all right now getting off the plane I'm like this is cool you know picks me up at the airport we're driving i'm asking him all these questions so uh, who else is auditioning and he goes uh son I, i'm just a driver i, I don't know any details <laughs> i was just sent here by miss 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 arden to pick you up and bring you to the helmsley palace did you have uh, okay. that strat on your back and i had my 62 strat on my back there it is which uh you know which which had the floyd rose in it and probably a uh, humbucker of some kind and it had it had, a, it had a humbucker in it that's no, another story how i i got that thing That'd together but uh so i fly i get into the hotel and i go to check in i said uh yeah a uh, room for for brad gillis and she says uh, uh i'm sorry there's no res- reservation with your name i said ozzy osborne group uh sharon arden uh, uh larry mcnini the road manager no they're they're all here but i believe they're playing madison square gardens tonight and uh from what i heard they're supposed to show back up around 12 or 1 o'clock tonight and i said well you know, here it's seven or eight at night. Or no, more like nine or ten. Like, their right. concert already started. Or else I would have went to the concert and saw them. In Madison Square yeah. Gardens, right? And she says, well, rooms are uh, your room Your room rate is $135. And I had $150, so I gave her 135 cash. And I only had $15 in my pocket. And I go back and sit <laughs> in my room going, well, I hope this works out because I don't even have a return ticket, you know. And I was kind of yep. freaked out. Sure enough, I get a call from Larry McNini at about 12.31 at night said hey brad you're in okay i said yeah he says come on up and meet everybody come on up to the penthouse suite and in yeah. a room yada yada and come meet everybody so i'm freaking out this is the moment you know i walk upstairs two big huge double doors major penthouse suite you know I knock on the door larry opens the door says hey brad how you doing he shakes my hand i said I- i'm doing fine i go everything okay and i said well i tell you man i i didn't have a reservation he goes oh damn He goes he goes how much was i, I go i put 135 dollars down i only had brought 150 with me and he goes he pulls out five 100 hundred dollar bills and puts them on my hand he goes is will this work and i said <laughs> yeah that that'll work he goes, come in i want you to meet ozzy and i looked at larry and there was like 50 people in the in the in the room big huge penthouse and a lot of guys were my age long hair guys you know and uh and i said uh I said, uh, Larry, how many people are auditioning for this? He goes, Oh, man, it, it's just you. All these other guys are photographers and interviewers and yada, yada, and media people. I'm, oh, okay, so I go up and I see Ozzy sitting on the couch and Sharon, and Sharon's like, talking. Ozzy's, he was kind of messed up. He was a little drunk, you know. And he, Larry, Larry goes, Hey, Ozzy, this is Brad Gillis, the, the guitar player we're checking out. And he looks at me and says, Go get your guitar. Uh, okay. I go, I don't have an amp. I go get your guitar. Uh-oh. Okay. I ran down to my room, grabbed my Strat, came up, came in. Ozzy gets up. He says, come on up and play for me. I said, I don't have an amp. He goes, just play for me. So we had this big, inside the main penthouse suite with the big open windows with a view in New York. There's this uh, stairwell that went up to the, to the bedroom. You know, we're walking upstairs right. and I swear, all conversation stopped. Everybody looked up to me doing this, Audition for Ozzy in the in their bedroom. <laughs> Dramatic kind of look around like, oh, oh, shit, right? So I go up and he closes the door and I sit at the end of the bed and he sits on the floor with his legs crossed and says, What would you like to play? So he sit on the floor with the guy and I, you know, oh no, oh no, no. you know, and then and sing along yeah. and, and it was just He's amazing. He's singing <laughs> along with your unplugged guitar. Yeah, and, uh, with, on the floor with his legs crossed. Anyway, I went through the solo, played it, and he stopped. He stands up, and I stands up, and I stand up. And he's right in front of me. He gives me a big hug. He says, "Bradley, I love you. Pull me through." You know, pull me through. I said, Ozzy, I'm here for you, whatever it takes, right? He opens a penthouse door. He goes, I got a new guitar player, right? (laughs) So I walk downstairs, and everybody coming up to me, who are you? Where are you you from? Uh, How'd you get the gig? And, you know, I'm up there for an hour or two doing interviews with people, just, you know. So basically, the next day we leave, we go to another city. Sharon bought me a little amp with distortion in it and a boombox, and the sound man gave me a live board tape of Randy cassette live brother which i still have and uh i sat in my room all day long practicing to the board tape because not only learning the solos randy did but the live segues between each songs and there were segue things here and there and little so all day and then at night i would go see them play live at the soundboard with a big castle and and you know bernie playing and and you know and sold out every night and i'm at the soundboard watching the show crapping in my pants going that's going to be me in a couple days right so three more days sitting in my room basically 12 hours a day wide awake at six in the morning you know because we get on the bus after a show go to the next place i go in my room i hardly sleep at all and just practice all day more and more after four days and on the fifth day I told him I was, I think I'm ready. So I go on to do sound check. To so that was play. the first time you played with him, that sound check? Yeah, I never played with the band, no. Uh-huh. I, I just just met everybody. Never, yeah. But by learning by ear, you know, I'd really honing my earcraft, you know. I uh, went in, and out of the 18, 19 songs, we only played seven because of time constraints of sound check and opening the doors, and Ozzy wasn't even there. Typical Man, lead I'm, singer. And I'm yeah, and I'm playing through Randy's rig, his amps and his pedal board and everything. All right, yeah, it was it was crazy.
2: So you had what was on his pedal board and what were his amps at that point?
1: Oh, he was playing uh, Marshalls, uh, double stacks, and his pedal board had every you know Wawa pedals and uh, you know all the, the uh, distortion boxes, everything. Like all, MXR? Everything was he still in? Yeah, it was MXR back then. Pretty sure, but he was can't remember. I only used yeah. the pedal board for a little while, but then I they said, you know, bring your own gear in. You know, so I brought my boogies and, you know, I started using boogies and my spare guitar, spare strats I had and brought my guitar tech, Mark Newman in, who was my right. tech and roadie for the Alameda All-Stars and for Night Ranger. Right. So I ended up playing my first show that night, sold out, you know, 8,000 people. What city was that? I was Binghamton, New York. I remember playing that night and I was crapping my pants and an hour before we go on, when we're just kind of warming up and stuff, Rudy comes up and says, Brad, by the way, on Over yeah. the Mountain, you know, I take my bass and I swing it back and forth in time. Yeah. I swing it back and forth. And You got to do that too. And I went, what? i go, I'm, just learned the song. Now I gotta swing my neck back and forth and rhythm. So got a headbang, st- Brad. So I remember standing in front of the mirror in the dressing room, swinging with Rudy, swinging my Rudy guitar Sarzo, Rudy man. Sarzo, swinging it back and forth, trying to play the, you know, trying to play the riff, you know, you know, trying yeah. to play the riff and swing my guitar back and forth. But after twenty or thirty minutes, I kind of got it down. And then now uh, here, all right, here we go. Now we're going on, right? Crapping my pants, you know, I I played with one big show with Rubicon for Cal Jam 2, but I knew everything I was playing. I'd been in the band a couple of years. It was second nature to me. This was all brand new. And of course, the adrenaline, you know, flying so high with adrenaline in your system kind of keeps the brain going. And I pulled it off, man. I did pretty good, but I screwed up on Revelation Mother Earth. I kicked into the fast part one round too early. And I remember starting that part, and nobody went with me. And I'm looking around, and Ozzy looks over me to me and gives me this <laughs> look of death, like, damn, dude, you're screwing up, you know? And I stopped playing. I hear the band going, and got my composure, got back to clean channel, and started playing the song. And then I got through that night, okay? And I finished everything out, okay? And I'll never forget the next night. Sharon comes up right before we're going on. And she goes, Bradley, you're doing a
2: fine job, but tonight, don't fuck up, you know?
1: Basically, you know, she, <laughs>
2: great you know no pressure there now you know i think i around that era i was in i think 7th grade and i think maybe the first time i saw you was uh, i could be wrong but leo's music on telegraph plugging into some gear yeah i went there all the time yeah i saw you there and there's like four or five people were all watching you you were blazing this is when i had first discovered whoa dude guitar shops man it's like a candy store right they had yeah. like a million used and new guitars and you were holding court completely blazing through some amp in the corner in the second room with all the amps, you know? Yes, oh yeah. But you know, the next time I saw you, I, w- I got the concert bug, my first concert was ACDC, and then, 12 years old, I hear you playing live on the radio, doing the Ozzy parse. You guys did a live radio simulcast yes. somewhere. From Memphis, Tennessee, live uh, King Biscuit Flower Hour. Yeah. I heard that, and it's, it sounded so epic, I immediately bought tickets to see Ozzy at the Oakland Coliseum, so I was there Wow. Twelve years old, you were playing. Wow. It was like like two days after my seventh grade year had let out. And, you know, that was a wild show. First of all, the crowds at those shows were fucking animals. Like, tell, let me tell you what happened. And this, I don't know if you remember this kind of stuff, but my buddy, Uranio, somebody threw an M80 or thrown M80s into the crowd, just lighting the fuses and just throwing them like 30 feet. Landed in his elbow, and he just barely got it out of his arms. I didn't even see it. It blew up, man. My ears were ringing. So I was like, all of a sudden, I couldn't even hardly hear the band. It was just like... It's a horrifying experience. Did you ever deal with these mad crazy wow. fans in
0: these crowds
1: Well, yeah there was you know basically when i started playing i was getting a lot of kids who were flipping me off and you know randy rhodes live signs and they wouldn't accept me you know it's like he was the new guy playing this randy rhodes stuff and i gotta tell you i i mean, i had to, i had to be humble and just sit back and just be nice and you know, i did not want to be flipping people back in the audience or anything yeah. that's not my nature anyway so i just kind of took it went with the flow you know i thought okay okay they'll accept me someday so weeks weeks from starting with ozzy is when we did the king biscuit flower hour and that was nationwide radio i was so nervous i just started settling in after a week or 10 days with ozzy when we doing this live broadcast and i was so freaked out because now everybody in the country is going to hear me and i better be on my game i was on my game that night i played well i was you know i had a good night i felt it through the radio man yeah basically you guys were on fire (laughs) you know i got calls from jack and kelly you know dude we heard you on the radio man unbelievable i guess should we be finding another guitar player and i said you know because they night ranger was moving on you know and they wanted to you know keep it together and i kind of went well i don't know what's going to happen with this gig i'm only been two weeks right and since no record deal had been locked in with night ranger basically it just kind of let me do my thing with ozzy now i started going on tour playing and all of a sudden, after that King Biscuit thing, people started digging me and giving me a little bit of love instead of flipping me off. You know, arms crossed. You could tell, tell right. who the guitar players were in the audience, you know. And uh, it was going great, man. Our tour was great. But, you know, Ozzy was still out. A... The Randy thing was so tough for him. That was, It was hard for him to accept me looking over and seeing me instead of Randy. He knew I had another band on the side. Basically, yeah. it was a tough call. And towards the end, we went to Japan, Canada. We were going to Europe. Rudy came in and and his band, Quiet Riot, got a record deal, so he quit the band. And when he told Ozzy, they had a little confrontation and it wasn't good. What happened? Ozzy slugged Rudy. Oh, shit. Yeah, right in front at the bar. It's hard to
2: imagine because he's the coolest, nicest guy on the planet. Yes.
1: That was it for Rudy. He was gone. So screw you. He left and went on with Quiet Riot, and boom, you know, big success. When it came around again a couple weeks later, Night Ranger got a record deal pending I Come Back to the Band because of my fame with Ozzy. So they said, if you get Brad Gillis back in the band, we will sign you guys to the label. So instead of me going up to Ozzy and telling Ozzy I'm quitting, I went up to Sharon. I said, (laughs) Sharon. (laughs) Oh, uh, my I got a record deal, you know, the tour was almost over. I said, I, I think it's time for me to move on to just there were so many issues right. with with the whole yeah. organization i didn't feel comfortable yeah. you know here i'm back home with guys has been a couple of years with getting the music yeah. together for our demos and you know watson being my best buddy hanging out with everybody we we're all on the same page we're the yossi band you know everybody from different countries and stay you know
2: i didn't feel like i was with my brothers oh, i miss sure. my brothers plus so you I- had a chance to have your own original music take off and exactly
1: and of course i would have loved to gone in and done a record with ozzy after the fact but you know you know, we went in and uh, right before uh, you know uh rudy quit we went in and, and rehearsed for the speak of the devil record all black sabbath stuff rehearsed for a couple
2: days on that and we did that at the ritz in new york two nights and that was great for me i love the way that, that album sounds to hear you playing you know your really aggressive style playing like paranoid and those kind of tunes. Really. yeah
1: i tell you man i i had to throw down my my shit on that record yeah. i no offense to tony iomi but i wanted to play my take of it take it to a more modern level i don't know what you'd call it or interject my own style. Just have fun with it. And they were fine with it as long as some of the more classic riffs and melodies I played, which I always played. I wouldn't stir away from classic stuff. But when it came to a solo that I could rip on or whatever. I just remember
2: like hearing you play play the opening of Paranoid. Well, basically,
0: uh, you know. And,
1: uh, you know, then uh, I remember at one point I was... I did one of those in it, you know, during uh, the solo. A little pick slide. Yeah, pick slide up a top. And uh, I just wanted to do my own thing. So that album was finished. I quit. I went to Night Ranger. We, we finished Dawn Patrol, our first Night Ranger record, the same week, in the middle of October 1982, both Dawn Patrol and Speak of the Devil were released the same week. Wow. I had two records that were on the album network, which was the radio sheet that they all the radio guys look at to see what's popular and what to play. They put two albums on the bottom, Picks of the Week. My two records, you know, Speak of the Devil and Dawn Patrol, were both Picks of the Week. And I was the first one to ever have two records in one week as a pick. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, this is great, you know.
2: Great, quite a year for you. Yeah, now as a guitar player, all us guitar you are like, "Whoa, Night Ranger! This is some serious guitar playing on top ten songs." Yeah, but like, like the, the single. Did you write the solo? At, is that kind of a composed solo for "Don't Tell Me You Love Me"? Or cause oh, it's, it's so lyrical. It's, it's, it's a melody me and, you can It's sing. me
1: and Watson hanging out and just bringing, yeah. you know, the, the 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 trying to bring trying to bring the best out of us because yeah. basically we. Wanted to make our mark. Because, of course, and,
2: he takes an amazing solo after your solo in that song.
1: Yeah, you know, and then I incorporated a couple couple things that I honed yeah. in, a, you know, playing, uh, which was fiddling around one day. And uh, basically, I banged my guitar, and and I hear this... It shook. Yeah. What, what is that? What is? Especially so, does that on your strats, I imagine. And I ended up, you know, just hitting a note, and... it's a tremolo bar. Wow. Wow. And I just started going, you know, I started fiddling with it. I thought, well, how cool would it be to put at the end of, you know, one, two, three, four. (laughs)
2: I love it. Play that without me playing. Let me just hear those moves. I love the G chord on that song, too. Like That's kind of an unexpected chord. Yeah, whose idea was that? Oh, well, basically <laughs> Jack wrote the song.
1: And that's all part of the you know. Don't tell me you love yeah. me. Yeah. Don't tell me you love me.
0: Don't tell me I don't know. Don't tell me. You-
2: yeah, yeah, it's a good great progression. Yeah.
1: And I remember the first day we got together as Ranger when all five of us got put together in Jack's uh, living room to rehearse. That was the one song we came up yeah. with basically he had the song he had the idea and uh, and then of course we you know with the intros you know and uh the whole intro and then me and Jeff at the end doing the uh, the classic uh That's so, it, that
2: sounds great. Yeah, you guys are in doing uh, harmonized leads there at the end. And
1: Yeah, yeah, it was very cool, because they definitely brought out the best of him and me. You yeah, know? he did a
2: really cool thing after your solo. Like of course, he w- became well-known for his 10-finger or 8-finger tapping stuff. But Yeah, th- that was th- on Rockin' America, but he but slammed the,
1: I, the solo on Don't Tell Me, Love Me.
2: It was like, a, yeah, it was not yeah, a tapping I thing. i it's tell you, man, it's, it's,
1: it's, 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 it's a riff that I, I warm up on, and it's still, I mean... Th- it's too early for me to even pull it off. Yeah, he had,
2: had definitely had sort of a more classical type of thing happening with some of those arpeggios. R- he r- was shows totally
1: and... into the major fast int- int- yeah. intricate picking, you know, that was his thing and he was gr- fabulous at it yeah. and also on acoustic guitar, you know, songs like Goodbye, 12-string
2: picking, he's fabulous at it. Yeah, you he guys exists. really, uh, really complimented each other. Were you surprised when your biggest song, probably I would say, Sister Christian was, was it turned out to be a kind of piano ballad, obviously with a great solo. Well, here's the story <laughs> (laughs) with sister christian it's like when we
1: when we record our first record we recorded that song and the record company they said well we don't want you to be just a one-hit wonder band and come out with you know song like don't tell me lovey and that'd be your only hit which was was an aor hit what about sister christian they said we're gonna save that for the second record we don't, we want that to be your sophomore smash. Nice. You now we're all like, oh, okay, well you're the record company. You should know. So basically we after don't tell me, let me on Don Patrol was released. And the great thing for us is MTV just came out. Boom, MTV yeah. Hi. They didn't have any content. They only had a, a handful of videos and we were right on the, the cusp of the, 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 the this new generation of music TV, right? So when we gave them Don't Tell Me You Love Me, MTV played it 20 times a day, every hour, whatever. They had no content, which really helped us along, and our radio airplay was huge all over, and it got us definitely noticed, and people were able to put a face to the music. The whole idea of being able to do a video and and kind of act in it too, and also play, do whatever, was cool. It was huge for us. And then our second single was Sing Me Away. And for some reason, that didn't break too well. Great song, but it just didn't break as a huge single. So we went in to do our second record. And, you know, Jack and I just came in. I came up with this riff, you know. And that was huge. And Definitely. Jack with the, the anthem... You can still rock in America. It was huge. It's just yeah. what everybody needed. You know, we still close the set with it every night. You know, for the solo, I kind of tamed back on that. Uh, you know, basically uh, where Watson came out and. Blaze with his eight finger thing because he wanted to yeah. get noticed, and he got kind of cut out of the video. Of don't tell me love me. They showed me playing right. my solo. Then when they went to his, they cut to like Fitz drinking wine on a <laughs> on on the train, and really so. didn't. They showed him for like two seconds playing the solo. He was pissed. I don't blame him. Right. So an eighth the when uh, the is you know doing his eight finger thing and 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 rocking America. He just said, "Oh, I want to make sure the camera gets me playing it," you know. And sure enough, they got him, and and people uh, really noticed him. For it, man, and and yeah. all of a sudden we're on the cover of Guitar Player magazine, you know, and you know after Still Rocking America we kind of went from an opening band to like a middle act, you know, from three act bands, you know, okay. opening from everybody from ZZ Top, Cheap Trick, and you know whoever was out we were out with them. We toured roughly 200 shows a year, you know, we were kicking ass back in the day,
2: man. We worked a
1: lot, and, uh, and you guys
2: still working a lot, 80, 90 shows a year. We,
1: yeah, we do about ninety a year now. Uh, but, you know, it's we could probably do more, you know, whatever. But it gives us time to do other projects. And, you know, we're not, we're a little older now, Jude. But uh, I'm, I'm still fucking fired up, dude. I, I will not be denied. I, I got, got to tell you guys, man.
2: You know what? I think this might have been the last time I saw you. I've run into you a few times over the years. And, by the way, like, it's so cool. When you, like, I, I have, for listeners out there, I had this Van Halen tribute band that I played with for a while. Half for teacher, great guys. I dude, suit. you play great in that. I was totally amazed. I had no idea you were the player you are. <laughs> oh, thank you for saying that. I just I was going to say how... um cool it was that you would sit in with us many times just like come on down we do like don't tell me love me maybe we did hot for teacher maybe we did crazy train
1: we did yeah we did and you know i'm a jammer i'm a, i've always I love done that about that. you That's from that's from playing with the all-stars and just yeah. jamming in any situation the other people get up and jam with us <laughs> i do whatever comes up or I'll, i i go to clubs still these days i'll play a show go back to the casino if we're doing a casino and there'll be a band playing in the casino a rock band and I'll sit in with them or right. me and, uh, you know, Joel Hoekstra when he was with us, you know, we'd shoot down and go
2: watch bands play in the city Hell at some yeah. club. And You and Joel sat in with us at the Nam show down in the Hilton lobby. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. But you know, you were just making a joke about how you're old or whatever. First of all, you look really in shape. I don't know if you like work out and stuff. It's You always struck me as healthy. But what I really wanted to say was I think maybe the last time I saw you was at the freaking Hollywood Bowl. It was Foreigner and then Journey was the headliner and you guys opened the show. And I was really, really surprised that you guys kind of put on the best show. Like you kind of put it to you this way you guys were running around like some 18 year olds playing your first gig like you guys had the fire man i mean you you were all over that stage and just energizer bunnies what's going on well i just charge up
1: that nine <laughs> volt before i go long no i tell you man we we're into throwing it down we put 110 percent into it this is yeah. like my this is our lives and you got jack blaze the, the freaking firecracker up there it you know it's always moving and uh kelly's still kicking ass on drums and, and and that's one thing about kelly he's a solid drummer he's solid and he hits hard and that's great when we had joel in the band you know uh when you when you saw mm-hmm. us uh basically joel what a monster that guy's a monster he's, yeah. he's such a you know it reminds me of jeff so much just of being such a great intricate player fast picking uh But Joel's kind of taking things to another level with the eight-finger
2: thing. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, he's grew up doing that stuff with T.J. Helmrich in Chicago. Exactly. And uh, he's a friend of mine, too. actually play with the singer, Kathy Richardson. And his first real gig was, I think, I could say would probably be with Kathy in Chicago. I I play with her now, and uh, she's the lead singer of Jefferson Starship. Uh But So I'm friends with Joel. He played with you for several years. He
1: was a good seven or eight years. And, you know, my best, he kind of, you know, my partner in crime, man. Me and Joel used to have... So much fun, dude. It was like yeah. we live in the eighties, man. Without the drugs. You know what I mean? We just have a go jam with anybody, just laughing in the front of the bus, telling stories, joking. The, Joel is so freaking funny.
2: <laughs> yeah. Get it, you know.
1: He is so funny. You people don't know. Watson was the same way. Watson was hilarious. Get a couple cocktails in Watson, man. He was just hilarious. He would hold court. And Joel, that's why Joel reminded me so much of Jeff. But uh, you know, Joel jumping into Night Ranger, he did he did a sound check with us,
2: you know, and
1: played that night. And he was flawless you know
2: yeah, yeah. you yeah. sure lucked out having someone who could play rock in America solo like that <laughs> oh yeah
1: and I guess he learned the eight-finger thing when he was 14
2: yeah
1: you know he was an Iron ranger fan sat in his room and learned the eight-finger oh he's an know. animal
2: yeah he yeah. Joel will uh you know, so
1: funny we just played with Whitesnake we just did a couple shows with him yeah. you know we opened for Whitesnake and did two shows the first show we had almost 10,000 people man it was great as in Greeley Colorado but it was so cool to see Joel and Reb and Tommy Aldridge you know in Whitesnake in Whitesnake yeah. but everybody was up on stage watching us play of course Reb being with Night Ranger for a little over a year yeah sure Joel is seven eight years they both are on stage checking out Carrie Kelly our new guitar
2: player yeah you know <laughs> and Carrie's throwing it down man. he's throwing it yeah, down that's, that's quite an audience though having you know Joel yeah. and Reb watching you oh yeah <laughs> so, you know
1: and of course I was up there watching them I'm proud of Joel he's still my best buddy Joel's still oh, like, yeah. we talk all the time in yeah, fact yeah. he's sending me new material of the record he's putting out I'm sending him some of my stuff and we're you know, yeah. talking back and forth And but uh, I I hated seeing him leave, but you know, life goes on. You know, you just move on. And we had Kerry before, but Kerry is like, I don't know, some reason he's got a fire up his ass being with Night Ranger. It's a little different ball game playing with us and yeah. I guess other bands. You know, he did Alice Cooper and played with Slash, but uh, I think with Slash, he just played a lot of rhythms. You know, he didn't play lead much. With Alice Cooper, he played some leads, but. You know, Nine Ranger gets a little it gets intricate playing Watson stuff. And totally Kerry has learned the eight finger technique. How long did that take him? Took him two weeks. He sat down, he says, I'm gonna learn this. Get, been get some it. new calluses going on some of those fingers. He's pulling it off, and just have Joel and Reb on stage watching him do it was yeah. a treat for me. <laughs> I bet. Check this out, guys. I just didn't want to lose a step. I didn't want people to say we're downgrading, and we're definitely not. And Kerry just throws it down. Mm-hmm. He looks great. You know, he's he doesn't he's not a poser or nothing. He just throws it down. Yeah,
2: oh, you guys throw it's down, crazy. man. You're really now. What kind of tell me every bit of gear you're using right now? With what, what's going on these days?
1: Uh well, you know, I've been, uh, you know, I've been with boogies. Since, since Ozzy man and they you know gave me my whole double stack back in the day and played my you know back the you know the Mark II Mark II B's Mark II, Mark II C's you know and sure. I actually went in they modified one of my heads to make it more of a metal sounding head when I was playing with Ozzy and, and they, they really been you know taking care of me and then the Mark V's came out and I've been using the Mark V's I got them you know on the road and of course I still got my Soldano Decatone which I sure. love and uh, it's just got that, that that sound and of course I got everything from you know all, all these different Marsh. To high watts, to
2: I collect the amps. I got forty yeah. freaking amps. You We're know. surrounded by probably twenty amps right here.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you are in my musical man cave, Let's Jude, and, and this is where this is where I come down and just uh, you know jam with friends and yeah. have a good time and and record everything I am doing. And actually, yeah. you know, some of the Night Reacher stuff uh, that we, we used to record up at Jack's before he moved up to Washington State. Uh, up in Santa Rosa where we recorded, uh, I would, uh, you know, go and do a bunch of stuff up there with Joel, last couple of records. But then I come home and I do record my solos here yeah. just because I didn't want to be pressured with everybody watching me to pull a solo off in 10 minutes, you know? I know so I bring it home and I do it here and just fly it back up into to their rig and
2: put on the last two records that we did. And God, for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, you have got it going on with this pad. We're overlooking the valley. You've got the man cave down here that's big enough to have a huge party in it you know, like Oh, a, and I've had a few. Yeah, I bet you have. It's like an SIR room, except for it's decorated perfectly out of this amazing art you know, I know you have 130 guitars or so, but the ones in this room, there's a 57 Strat on the wall. You got your original 62 Strat, which we have not really talked about yet, but that's the one that you've been through all the wars with. And, but, yep. and you got the studio up in the living room with a view to die for. I know this, I know the Bay Area, man. I can see you watching the fog rolling over the hills, sitting there working, and you, you've done like 300 tracks for ESPN. Yeah, and, and Fox
1: Sports and people like that. That's that's my other side yeah. gig.
2: It's um, yeah.
1: basically, Jude, I got the luxury, and believe me, I. Can't Count my lucky stars for where I'm at these days. I've led an illustrious life, you know. And uh you know, just to be able to wake up in the morning and open those shades and have the beautiful view of the hills and and just fire up my computer
2: and just write a song and I... And uh what was your reaction? I know I was surprised when I saw the movie Boogie Nights and that pivotal scene, drug dealer walking around with a gun and the guy's throwing firecrackers and sister Christian is featured prominently. Like that was like, that that must have,
1: what was your reaction when you saw that movie and saw that scene? Well, our first reaction was Jack and I said to each other, I think, I think we've been to that guy's house before. (laughs) (laughs) Or someone like (laughs) us. But, you know, to have that song in the movie and have the, like the main drug dealer guy, you know, go, no, no, stop. No, I want to, no, 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 I want to hear this. And he's doing air drums, like gung, 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 motor and singing along i mean who would ever thunk it but it would it, it actually kind of worked pretty good in that that was huge for us you know we've uh, i think we've had over about 12 to 15 songs in different movies throughout the years and and that's always cool because you know if they're a good movie and the you know you'll hear it, it'll it keep coming back every year and some channel
2: you'll see it again now can um, we go back can you play me the solo to sister christian I, it's just such a it's like one of the world's most well-known solos, really. I mean, you just—it's just you can. I could, don't know. It takes
1: a lot of. Let me people see. People could sing
2: it. <laughs> Loose, but uh, <laughs> no that's, dude there it is it's singing there it is now yeah i guess you told me before that you you were in the control room when you did that and uh you were like sustaining off the studio monitors
1: yeah i i was going for that you know that that infinite sustain thing and didn't want to be using pedals or i just wanted a natural wide open boogie blazing i had that boogie that thing was singing but when i had it in the Recording room, and I was in the control room and had the you know 30 foot cord going out to the um, they had the you know the big uh Altec monitors back then, you know, the 15 and the horn, you know, and right, right. <laughs> the old you know the the, the stroke me strokey speakers so you can <laughs> crack it up loud and everybody go, Oh, yeah, sounds great, and you put in you your car stereo. Like, huh. So uh, I just started playing along, and and I remember hitting a note with, with no music running, and I had infinite sustain. I told Pat Glasser and John Van Est our producer and engineer, I said, this is going to work for me. You may want to put in earplugs, you know, because it's going to be loud because I want to crank it. They didn't care, man. They heard me do it. And-
2: so you have the track in your headphones, and the only thing coming through the monitors was the oh, guitar. Oh, I had nothing in the headphones. But
1: everything is going through the big monitor. Oh,
2: so you're getting sustained while hearing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah. but my you know, my guitar was maybe louder in the mix. It should be. You right. hear it gets sustained. You're standing but- in the sweet spot. But nobody likes to sit out in the you know, in the other room while everybody's in the control room and you're in there, you feel it feels so sterile. Hey, you feel and, like you're in
2: a fish tank or something in there. Yeah, you know,
1: and, and uh, you know, even up at Jack's house doing the last couple of Nine Ranger records, we we always uh, put the heads in Jack's main control room and play there, you know, with the speakers and right there with everybody else, and the amps are out in the big room, you know? It's just more fun that way, and it's more
2: more personal That's the way to roll. Well, you know, I've played your guitar before, like your main Strat, and even with the heavier strings, or well, at least by Strat standards, it's always amazing how buttery it plays. It plays like a sports car. I mean, it's so, with, when you have a straight neck and big frets it doesn't really matter if there's heavy strings, right?
1: Well, i tell you, man, setting up a guitar, it's, uh, every guitar is different even if they're set up exactly the same. So when you find something you like, man, you go with it. And, you know, I, I ended up going to larger frets, but then I had them kind of milled down a little bit because they were too high. Uh, and, uh, you know, the strings, I kind of went from lighter gauge to heavier gauge to what I'm at now. And, of course, your pickups you use. You know, I'm, I, got my, my, I got my old original PJ Marks on my 62 Strat. That thing, yeah. you know. That thing uh, was made in 1985 or something, and uh, uh, I had another one, which is on the guitar, which is on this the Fernandez right now, which I use live. That is the actual pickup I use on all through the 80s when they made it. I took it out of that when I stopped playing that live, and put it in there. The thing's yeah. this Fernandez is a monster, dude. Uh, it's my Ferrari, dude. Um, but uh, you know my, like I said, my original you know 62 Strat. Uh, the story with that, I got to sand it down in a box, you know. And yep. in about 1977, 78, a friend of my brother's came over and said, Hey, I got to, you know, this is 78, doesn't mean anything to have a 62 strat. It's all sanded down, all the parts, pickups, sanded down, neck and body. He brought it in a box, all the parts. said, Do you want this? And, uh, and I said, Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. You know, a little project for me, you know. And then I ended up taking it down, and I had some Emeron, orange red Emeron paint left over from a Datsun 240Z I had. And, and they actually uh, took it down to a body shop, and uh, well, you know, underneath it, you could see gray primer. Right. That's a primer. From yeah. Auto Body Primer, and then they sprayed the orange-red emerald paint it on it. It looks
2: really cool seeing that. Like, there's nothing like seeing a guitar that's been through the war and had a million great gigs and albums on it.
1: Yeah, you know, and all the dings and everything. Then I got dumb, started putting stickers on it. Of course, I got my, you know, San Francisco Giants and my Raiders sticker on it. And whatever, you know, it's my guitar. I'll do whatever I want. So funny, you know, some some girl came up to me, and they saw my beat-up guitar. She's talking about it or whatever. It says, uh, how come you don't paint that thing? Lo- it looks
2: ugly. <laughs> and I kind of went, thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> like, yeah, you're like, Datsun 240Z orange paint struck 1978 is the secret of my tone.
1: Yeah, what are you talking about?
2: And there's one of those Floyds with no fine tuners, once again.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, I think that one there is the third one. I think I got three, four, and five out of his garage, and if, I have
2: seven, nine, ten, and twelve. Amazing. Over what are or those things, I, if, I got quite a few. If somebody wanted to buy one off eBay or from a dealer who had one of those in perfect condition, what do those things go for now? One of those original Floyds. Well, a lot of people are,
1: are, are saying they're original Floyds because they're made in the '80s and they're and they're no fine tuners. But there's different generations of Floyds. They're the ones he made in his garage. That's yeah. the one I collect. Uh, the ones I, I try to acquire through uh, Craigslist and eBay and looking around and asking friends. Uh, then there's the, then the you know they went to Germany and they had the German made ones and then that's when they started degrading in the quality and then they started making them in Japan so uh, I don't I have a few of those I won't say I don't because I've yeah. got so many guitars and, and ones I set up for hot rods have those Floyd's on it but the ones I play and the ones I have around me are all original Floyd's and Fantastic. like I said the things that make those so great is that they're made so solid any pedals you're
2: running these days or
1: no you run straight in. I've never really used pedals. The only reason I use pedals are for the delay and, and uh, on the rumors in the air. Wait, you still use a delay, or are you? I use. I actually have a. I have a Boss ME80 on the road. Oh yeah. So okay. I have this one I'm using down here. I have three of them, and I dig it because they're programmable. They're all in one thing. You don't have to carry a yeah. pedal board. Worry about it falling off the pedals. Whatever. They're small. You can haul them around. Uh totally adjustable. I never, punch, I never touch a pedal on stage. I never touch a rhythm to- uh, What are you um,
2: using all, all the sounds in the ME80 for? Like are you using- I'm using a- the compressor
1: on things like uh, Sister Christian and singing solos. Right. And I use the delay in uh, Rumors in the Air and I use a slight chorus flange sound for the start of Don't Tell Me You Love Me, That's it. All amp amp distortion, usually. Oh, yeah, man. I don't use any outside distortion. And I use metal picks. Groovy thing about metal picks is, you know... (laughs)
2: That kind of stuff. Yeah, they're really cool collectors' items for your fans too. I mean, they look cool. Now, how long does one of those things last? Forever.
1: Really? It's a metal pick. Yeah, that's <laughs> <Yeah. I mean, laughs> forever. Well, no you're, break.
2: You're literally scraping it on the string. That you think after a certain point it would.
1: No, yeah. no, it's, it's a, <laughs> the, they last. You know, but I end. Up, I throw one out a night. I throw one metal pick out a night. Oh. I throw a bunch of plastic ones for. I use plastic for uh, acoustic uh, at home and studio and live. I use these metal picks. Where man. do you get
2: those? Who makes those?
1: Uh, my buddy uh, Star Access Picks. Out of Houston oh, yeah. uh JC is his name uh yeah. and he made me these custom picks he even I gave you one that, yeah. they he anodized a red onto a metal pick which is very rare you know yeah. and they only a few of those rounds Looks but really I don't cool. use those live the pick yeah. I gave you the red metal one
2: are picks I give to players I really appreciate it i you know I have a, I'm not a big pick collector but some of my heroes you know Paul Canner, who I play with and Malcolm Young and I'm putting your pick sure. up there too oh cool man <laughs> thanks man
1: yeah, yeah, totally, brother. But, uh, you know, from the amp to the guitar to the pick, it's all uh, what you get to, for that sound. And sometimes you just got to really take your time to get what you want and figure out what kind of sound you want to play, you know, you want to go with live. And, and I'm, I'm a rock
2: player. I'm old school, man. And uh, Just don't know. put it in your mouth. You know, Eddie Van Halen used to maintain that the metal pick in his mouth, not the smoking. Yeah. Yeah, positive. I know he said that, but he he uses copper
1: picks. Oh, he, copper's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, I use these are uh, metal. I put them in my mouth, but uh, luckily I still have my tongue. <laughs> that's that's a tough call, man. It's I don't know about call. that, but right. I know he said uh, when I read that I kind of freaked out. But he said he was using copper picks, and that, that copper these, yeah. these are
2: stainless steel. I don't know how that'll affect my mouth, but well, I, yeah, you would think a lot less oxidation than you know, copper's. Yeah, copper yeah, penny I mean, turns uh, green. Can't be good for your tongue. A, <laughs> well, cool, man. You know, I really appreciate you uh, sitting down for so long. Amazing. All right, dude. Right
1: on Thanks for coming so, over to my uh, my uh, girl rock treehouse. Absolutely, man. This is like rock and roll fantasy
2: camp here. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Take care.
0: That's the No Guitar Safe theme song. A little fun fact is that the harmonics at the beginning and end of that song are performed by guest guitarist Gretchen Men. Thank you, Gretchen, for lending your talents on that. Of course, you hear them at the beginning of the podcast as well. I also want to thank Dean Del Rey. He has a great podcast called Let There Be Talk. He's a comedian He also is a singer and a biker, and he's hilarious. And he gave me a lot of advice as far as getting this one set up. Thank you, Dean. Also want to thank the boys at Amps and Axes. What a cool podcast. They interview tons of guitar players and guitar manufacturers and builders. You got to check it out. I was even lucky enough to be on there, too. They interviewed me. Check them out, Amps and Axes. Most of all, though, we got to thank Brad Gillis. Inspiring cat, right? He still just has it, and he still plays like an 18-year-old going to his first gig. I just love that, man. He is just so into it. And, of course, I hope you heard Joe Satriani last week. Don't worry. If you missed it, it's still there waiting for you. Podcasts don't go away. That's the beauty of it. Listen on your own time for free. And I kind of think that Joe Satriani uh, kind of coined our tag phrase for closing out the show. When he was talking about keeping in touch with that inner person that keeps learning till you're 95 years old. So, that being said, we'll see you next week and keep it alive until you're 95.